Cradleine Network. I am the law, and this is the 22nd episode of Big Mac One, the podcast where we patrol our way through the Judge Dredd magazine. But that's not all, because this is also where we discuss Judge Dredd branded specials, annuals, and yearbooks. And to that end, we're looking at the 1993 Judge Dredd yearbook. It's the second Dredd yearbook and the 13th Dredd annual generally. And as always, these books are dated for the year after they're released. So, second Dread yearbook, we've got continuations of a bunch of magazine stories, including Straight Jacket Fits, Red Razors, Soul Sisters, as well as original adventures for judges Dread, Anderson, and Joyce. The yearbook's price has stayed the same from last year at £5.95. But enough of that, because let me introduce my guest for this yearbook, friend of the show, Duncan. Thank you so much for coming on the show! Dustin! <laughs> <laughs> Du- oh my oh, god. god did i write it say it dustin. wrong let me dustin i'm so sorry buddy oh my god i feel like i wrote my thing and then it auto corrected and now i look like a fool and yeah i know i know where that error came from because of my surname yeah so i'm just really i'm really sorry about that yeah, um, yeah babe don't worry oh, about god. it <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'll just see myself. I'll just see myself out. You know. Yeah, I, I can carry on the podcast without you. I mean, I'll, I'll do. I'll do a better job than you than usually. <laughs> oh no! Oh god! The show. Okay, you know, well see, deserved. See, deserved okay, on my you can, part. You can switch off. <laughs> All right. Well, despite my uh, terrible insults, uh, thank you. Thank, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty nervous. I'm used to public speaking, and I, and I am the law because I'm a far, far admitted lawyer, and I'm pretty good at it. But uh, it's pretty nervous time for me to be on. On your podcast. Oh, well, you know, listen, we're just a humble mom and pop shop here. Um, before we get started on the annual, I was wondering if you could tell us, uh, like, what your history with 2000 AD and, and the Judge Red magazine is. Uh, well, I grew up in London to a Polish-British uh, family, going back, really, really back. Mm-hmm. I found your podcast uh during those uh, lockdown lockdown times, sure, hard times, <laughs> uh, just wanted to to find something to distract me, and found mm-hmm. found you. Just reminded me of the times I used to walk around in London with my Polish uh, grandma, mm-hmm. and we used to visit the comic shops, and uh, we used to buy various rubbish comics, <laughs> and. Uh, Bino, I don't know, I can't even remember. Mm-hmm. Dundee's you know, you know, rubbish, basically. The only good comic was uh, 2000 AD, and I couldn't understand it. I was 10 years <laughs> old. I mean, I, 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 I still have that image of at the end of Helltrekkers when the baby gets a <laughs> sapling right. shot. It, it, <laughs> in her head, I still have that in my mind because I, I, I was I was looking looking for the comic and I just saw that and I that, mm. that's that's trauma that's PTSD. Sure, yeah, Hell Trackers yeah. will bring that out. Sure, that's a that's a yeah. damaging I mean, that's I mean, damaging I mean, thrill. 
Yeah, and I remember reading Rogue Trooper and thinking, what the fuck is this? Mm -hmm. Seriously, what am I reading? Yeah. I mean... You know, talking war gear and all that stuff. It's it's weird. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of weird. you get it's used weird. to it, but it is weird on its face for sure. Yeah, and Halo Jones. Mm-hmm. And I got a bit older and I started understanding the stuff and realizing it was really, really fantastic. And I moved moved from London to Poland, Warsaw, mm-hmm. and I had had a break. So um, these progs that we're dealing with, I didn't read originally. Mm-hmm. I read them thanks to you. And then I, when I started earning some money, I started uh, building up my Dread collection. And, oh, nice. And, you, and you've, seen, you've seen those pictures that my ex-girlfriend uh, painted. Mm-hmm. Remember them? You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I really, really liked the artwork there. And I really, really like uh, Dread and the whole world and it's a continuing world and it's continuing... Uh, Fred is, doesn't reset. There's not much. There's not so much of the DC or Marvel hmm, bullshit, multiple worlds or whatever. <laughs> it's a, it's a continuous universe, and I can really appreciate that. Uh, but I only realized that Dread was a fascist when I was about twenty eight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very much. Um... You Still know, laughing. <laughs> highly questionable the, the the politics of dread. Although I think um, I don't know. I've read like they actually had an article in the magazine itself recently that was sort of I don't know talking about this in a way that I kind of think is interesting. Just in the idea that like dread exists more as a as a mirror of of the current society than sort of as a you know it's sort of trying to to talk about fascism within like British society at the time that the comic comes out, I guess, as opposed yeah, to specifically we're, we're, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, glorifying a political that. view himself, you know? We're, we're going to avoid that in about, in about four progs time. <laughs> so beg, because I can, I can see stunning parallels from something that was written 27 years ago. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think I, 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 I think I know that the, the story you're talking about in a couple, um, Actually, I think it was actually we just maybe just had. Oh no, I think it's be the next um, me- uh, magazine episode that comes out that sort of deals with some with some current events in America. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's just sort of. It, I think it's interesting generally just how much of a mirror dread ha- uh, can hold both to the time when it comes out and to the present day. Honestly, just of um, like this- they foresaw all of this, <laughs> right? This, yeah, this. Uh, this this ridiculous character that can also be um that also just you know yes c- c- can be an allegory for, for 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 any time honestly i think that's really i think that's a strength of dread and i think it's something that is really interesting about the character honestly from the start i had the talk with on twitter with the editorial staffer with fark uh, last year during uh, protests mm-hmm. season and when they just basically said this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Dread, Dread is who he is, and he's um, he's a fascist. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely, you know, I don't, yeah. It's one of these things where, you know, Dread's, Dread's character, I think, you know, Dread, like, Dread's only a hero because of the villains he goes up against, right? I think we've talked about this on, 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 on the podcast, you know, when... The choice is dread or or judge death. Then I feel like dread's a good choice. But 
I mean, we've seen t- – I, I, I feel like we, we've got quite a few stories now where when the protagonist of the story is um, your average mega citizen on the street, then Dread very much becomes the villain of the story, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if you're experiencing Dread in your day-to-day life, he's not a good guy. He's a bad guy, you know? And he's only, only here because of how he's portrayed by the stories themselves and because he often goes up against even – more evil uh, or more um you know more more questionable um, um yeah we, we've got a lot of evil people here in this <laughs> in this episode um, i'm also fun of the punisher but mm-hmm. for instance i see a cop or a, a, a spec op operator wearing mm-hmm. a punisher bat that's not who you should be yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I will say that you know the the difference between the two characters, I think, is that like the Punisher, I, I, I feel like the Punisher is has much less of a uh, is is much less has less of an arched eyebrow for his fascistic <laughs> actions and stuff like that. I think, but I, th- um, but I think also you know the difference, especially, is that you know Dread is a cop, right? He's doing things under the banner of law, whereas. The Punisher is specifically a vigilante doing things outside of the law. So I think, you know, I don't know, not to get too modern day which, politics, which, which, but yeah, yeah I, find, which, I find it disturbing a little bit when cops ha- um, have too much Punisher stuff just because, you know, like a cop shouldn't be Punisher. Mm-hmm. He should he should be. I am the law. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I mean, you know, part of that is just dread relative popularity and stuff, but. Yeah, there. I feel like that is a a key difference between the two characters, just in terms of I don't know who I want people to be idolizing. I guess. But we're going to be dealing with Garth Ennis today, and and you know his run in the Punisher. I mean, that was awesome. Absolutely, yeah. That those uh, those War Zone ones are really amazing. Those like that era of um Max. Yeah, yeah, Punisher Max. You're right. I'm sorry. That's right. I remember. Yeah, with um, because I I. Sorry, I, I, I get the two mixed up, I think, because I feel like the movie Punisher Warzone took a lot from Punisher Max, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because it also had with like... That, with that guy from Rome. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, Alexi cool. Alexander directed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah Ray, Ray Winstone, I believe. He was also yeah. in Book of Eli, which I believe had a ton of 2000 AD people involved with it also. <laughs> We are digressing so massively. (laughs) It's the pre-show. It's, you know, this is where you're supposed to do it, you know, but it's fun to talk about just 2000 AD things, you know. Ramble Um, on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a, it's a good time. That's, that's what I like about these annual shows, honestly, is, um, you know, Fox and I are so close to a, to a hive mind in 2000 AD at this point. And Eli is and Eli's great, but he just isn't. You know, he's so so new to 2000 AD that it, he doesn't have sort of this um, this background knowledge that I feel like uh, that, that that like long term fans have. You know, so it's 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 not, it's fun to be able to to shoot the breeze about sort of in depth uh, in depth dread stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 this what we're dealing with here now is my uh, my dark ages. I mean, I, I just ha- I just had a break. From ninety to ninety-five, say, 
Mm-hmm. I feel like that's so, a pretty so, common so story, honestly. Yeah, so he's getting into these un- unknown areas in the early '90s. It's very much this is a dark, this is a this is an uh, undiscovered period for many people. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. excited to be for a guide reason. for people. You know, I feel like I've you know. That's the thing. You always like the 90s very much. Increasingly, as I'm talking to people, they're saying like, yeah, like I I think actually, yeah, in the 2000 AD yearbook this year, my guest said this was my last 2000 AD annual. And I feel like there's a lot of people where like, you know, we're getting to we're getting towards people's last prog or last magazine until they come back in the 2000s sometimes, you know. But I think there are also people, though, I, I will say for the record, I also have met some folks where the 90s was like their golden time, like when they were were in the perfect demographic for 2000 AD and reading it. And, and so for them, they hold it very, very close to their hearts. And I, I shout those people out as well, because, you know, there's got to be room for all eras in these fandoms. <laughs> you know, well, absolutely. during that period, I discovered uh, Bear Girls uh rave music so yeah listen that and that, also important so limited access right <laughs> i mean i feel like at least the first two of those um of, of those things as well as at least some kind of music it has has ended the comics career of many a reader you know like <laughs> booze girls rave music video games being in poland we can all these are universal things that people have to deal with you know something all right <laughs> so all right but wait with that i think maybe let's just get going with this here yearbook all right so just so you know um in the magazine um, in our coverage, we just finished Volume 2, Issue 10 of the magazine, um, which is sort of a relaunch issue for the Meg. And we've just finished the uh, the big mega epic uh, Judgment Day with all these uh, zombies and stuff ruin everybody's day. And now we are, um, you know, headed forward in the magazine with stories like, um, Armit- like Volume 2 of Armitage and the first edition of uh, Calhab Justice and stuff. So these... Um, Scottish uh, judges, very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, b- but here in the mega, here in the annual, we're going a little south of Calhab as we start um, with this uh, ninety-three yearbook, like the two thousand AD uh, yearbook. This one has a fold-out, quadruple-sized soft cover. This one's by Brennan McCarthy and is extremely Brit City. It's got a big head of Judge Armour in the middle with his uh, star chin tattoo and then Dred's in there, but he's surrounded by Brits at things. There's like a, a hover bobby with a your nicked sign on it, um, uh, a beef eater with a 10 sixths sign on his hat, like that Mad Hatter hat sizing thing, I guess. And then you're nicked. Exactly. Yeah. You're nicked. Hello, hello, hello. That kind of thing. Um, and then the back cover has a very funky Brit sit, uh, just random Brit sitter, Judge Armour again, writing his Red Lawmaster. And then off in the distance is the, uh, the, the shade of Armitage looking over it all. We're getting again. So Brit sitting. <laughs> Have you noticed how triangular, uh, Dred's helmet is? Oh yeah, well I mean that's the it's 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 a McCarthy dread. So he's he's the master of the uh, of the salad bowl uh dread helmet, you know. <laughs> yeah, you could put 
upside down that put some avocado in there and some feta and you know absolutely yeah i mean you you'll see ricola yeah definitely i mean he's got the uh like you'll see he's got like six bars on the uh on the respirator on the top of the helmet that's sort of a mccarthy standard like a lot of artists are lucky to get three on there and he's got like twice that much you know it's very i love the lion i love the lion on the brits brits sit helmets yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, the design of the Britsit guys is is great because they very much took Dread's um, look and we're like, all right, like we got to do Dread, but we got to make it British. So let's just make all the eagles lions, basically. <laughs> that's like that's the transition to make for these guys. I still have no idea why they have the, the, the star on the chin. Yeah, I don't know either. I think it's just the style, honestly. But I don't like, and I. But I feel like also McCarthy himself likes throwing stars on things. Like that feels like uh, a, a, an, an art choice that he makes. I think. Like I've definitely seen him have. Um, like there'll be a bunch of like alternate judge uniforms that'll have like a row of stars on it or something like that as well. So it feels like I don't know. Could it just be a quirk of his, I guess. But yeah, so then um, after the cover inside, there's a table of contents that's pretty similar to um, what we're get like to the design of the uh, of the magazine at this point, which also yeah is sort of this table of contents and editorial introducing the um, the concept of this annual and stuff, and then that in turn takes us to Thrill One Serial Killer. Our dreads, our our dread story that's running through this whole yearbook. Uh, script robot John Wagner, art robot Simon Hunter, letting robot Tom Frame. Yeah, uh, I mean Wagner. Obviously, we know who that is. Yeah, Simon Hunter, a bit of an unknown, Simon, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's gonna that's gonna be a theme here <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah. for, throughout this book. Yeah. I mean, uh, there, there are some really well-known, fantastic artists here. But Simon Hunter? <laughs> yeah, no, this is uh, this is uh, this is the only time we'll see Simon Hunter's art on the podcast. He's actually uh, primarily a video game artist, uh, working for companies like uh, Bullfrog and GameLoft over the years. Um, yeah, much respect to him, but this is this is, I mean, really, you're not going to see him anymore. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, he's got. I mean, I, I'm. Like I would say, he's got like a sort of a uh, he's closest actually to McCarthy, I think, sort of in his dread style, I guess. But yeah, this is sort of not not up to par to what we're to what we we'd like to see in the uh, in the uh, 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 fortnightly uh, mags or progs and stuff like that. So, well, combined well combined with Wagner. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's sort of when, when you have good writing, it can lift up. It can lift up anything, I think. And I think this is a fun story. Um, yeah, I, li- ha- I, I, I like the art style. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say anything against it, but this is a weird combination. <laughs> sure. So this. Oh, so the first part of the story is t- called "Silence of the Limbs," and. In the dark, magazine. obvious reference. Of course, yeah. No, I mean we're in the in '92. We're deep in Silence of the Lambs stuff. Um, and in yeah, in a dark mega city <laughs> night, Judge Dredd finds a severed hand lying on the street in a pool of blood, with a card reading, "This is number one." He turns the corner to find at least seven more hands and calls in a forensic unit. There's yeah. Eight- I've got to stop you now. Oh, please. Have you noticed how young Dredd looks? I mean, he's very unlined in this one, definitely. Like, I, yeah, he, he, he looks you, like he just he just finished his hot dog run. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, 
Look at that face. I mean, that's, yeah, that, definitely. that's 25 year old dread. That's all. It does kind of remind me um, in the run up to like Necropolis where um, where Scarab drawed Kraken, you know, as Dread and the two of them together and like um, Dreads and, and uh, Joe Dread's chin was all like um, like wrinkled and and like furrowed and stuff. And um, he drew Kraken with this very unlined plain chin, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're this right. Is, this is- this is a handsome dread, man. Yeah, he looks. He, he just kind of looks angry as opposed to also uh, world-weary here. I agree. Um, so there's eight victims. Their bodies were destroyed by a high-powered disintegrator. The first hand has a watch on its wrist and the time is stuck at 9 p.m. And like me, Dredd remembers the lefty murders from the graveyard shift stories in Prague's uh, 335 to 341. Where there was a guy that was trying to break the one night murder record of 134, but fell sh- but fell five short with 129. Uh, this copycat killer's clearly trying the same thing, but with right hands. As Dredd's lefty, figure, co- lefty right, versus righty. That's right. Yeah. Listen, I think you'll find though that Lefty's crimes were a bit more sinister. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, I've got, I've got a, a Latin note joke. Here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right. I've got an I've got a note here. It's a theme of serial killers, something that's going to be and has been going on for so long in 2018. Mhm. Uh, did it start with Hunter's Club in 1985? I don't know. I forget when the first PJ maybe story is because I guess he's the biggest one of Dread's Rogue Gallery, but I think there were I think even before then there were ones where like they were, they were, they were, God, I, you know, reaching into my head here. I remember there was one story where there were um, people being killed and someone was leaving like floral arrangements or something at the bodies and it turned to be like an, amb- uh, an ambu- ambulance drivers or something that sort of serial kill- serial killery, I guess. <laughs> I'm talking about a serial killer that counts the victims uh, mm. in a contest. You're right. Yeah, I think that is sort of Hunter's Club kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Kind of reminds and me of Lord of the Rings also. And this theme will continue. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last time, like last time it appears is in 2019. Right. Um, a call comes in from Judge Ampey. He's found 16 more hands, one with a watch reading uh, 2127. So it's clearly like the killer trying to, like, I don't know, keep a record of how he's killing these people. Later, at Block Tops, Elders, Elster's Rest Homes, a figure in green worries about the time as he knocks on the door and blasts the hole, blasts a hole in the chest of the dude who answers. And as he does, the, uh, the killer calls out, 52! Starts disintegrating this body, then goes to work on a passing orderly and an Elster in a wheelchair. And it's just sort of, he's clearly just going to start, like, you know, working his way through this uh, old folks' home <laughs> <Yeah>. as well. <laughs> yeah. Just these murders. Dread sends out an all-points bulletin and gets everyone out there looking for this killer. They've got a rough description and a fingerprint from the initial note. Presumably, like, the killer left his prints on here because he wants to be identified so they can, you know, give him the record, basically. Did you see Dread doing a Robocop? Hmm. Is it this like stance here where he's sort of like yeah. turned on his waist? Oh, yeah. He's very Robocop. Like that one uh, poster picture of Robocop where he's getting out of the car or something he like ju- that. He just swivels, swivels on his waist. 
Oh man, this whatever cross pollination, like the inspiring one thing, then inspiring it back. You know, it's whatever nature of the beast, I guess. Um, but Dread yeah, also Dread also does does a, a fantastic chinny when he's talking to <laughs> HQ. He's able to so talk with his mouth closed. It's excellent. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Oh, and and I'll note that he has the uh, that that hunter's drawing dread with the movie style uh, flip out uh, microphone from the helmet as well. Um, yeah, yeah, and that tech that tech dude is very Warhammer 40k. Definitely, yeah, he's got the built up helmet and stuff going on with that. Absolutely, uh, uh, Adaptus Mechanicus. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a, yeah, it's been he sacrificed some flesh to the machine god, certainly. Um, Dread wants to stop this guy, but his only real lead is uh, Lefty in Psycho Block 14. Uh, that's Jean-Paul ba- uh, Blatty, the Lefty killer. Um, and so Dread goes out to meet him. And here's where I just want to mention that also I think it's interesting that uh, Simon Hunter is signing almost every page of this comic. Like pretty much all of these Dread pages, if you look around like, – like a Where's Waldo, you'll find a, um, a Hunter – like his last yeah, name written, uh, written, written somewhere chin. on the page. No, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's I mean, one reflected, both reflected in the hel- in the helmet of one of the of, of one of these judges, and then written down the side of the page and stuff like that. When the guy has goggles on, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he he, I mean, he he wants those royalties. I mean, he 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 learned his lesson. <laughs> I mean, I guess he, like. This is this is his only work, so I guess it makes sense that you'd want to leave your mark as much as possible. I'm sure I would if I was an artist, because I, you know, whatever. It's just a, uh, you know, I I understand the impulse certainly. Um, but speaking of people with weird ideas, let's continue on to Thrill Two Anderson Side Division. And I should say we'll continue this dread story uh, throughout the uh, yearbook. So script robot Alan Grant, art robot Russell Fox, learning robot Ellie Deville. Um, and Russell Fox, I mean, that's a big name. <laughs> um, <I> mean, <laughs> he, he had a story actually in the, uh, in the dread mega special this year. And then earlier he had one story. He's done one story in the magazine, which is also this Anderson and an Anderson story. That one was about, um, this kid who, um, like starts creating, uh, monsters with his mind. And then Anderson investigates and it turns out that like the kid mentally created his family and then they investigate him further and he pops out of existence. Like he created himself mentally or something. And it's very like, whoa, what, what, what's going on here? And that's why Anderson pawns the paperwork off to somebody else. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he's got, um, he draws Anderson with this really crazy, like flying, flying, flying away curly hair. I think, which can be, which is interesting, but also kind of distracting. I guess. Uh, my notes on this are uh, Debbie Harris on meth. Mm, could be. <laughs> I should also mention that it, um, while the Dread story doesn't have it, all the rest of the stories in this annual have. Um, have opening pages with a creator credit and some backstory on the character that we're going to be seeing and like just often just a li- uh, like a, a one sentence synopsis of the story we're about to read. This is very like the the, the magazine is doing this. The relaunch of the of the, of the magazine has these pages um, at the start of every story. But I think what they're doing here or what, what they serve for here as well is they basically take the place of some of the filler that we usually have in these yearbooks. So 
For instance, the 2000 AD yearbook this year still has some traditional filler things like um, creator profiles and um, an update on the uh, the thrill index and stuff like that. And this doesn't because I believe that space that would be taken up by those things is instead taken up by these uh, credit cards, basically. And I think, honestly, I think it's a smoother way of doing the filler, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you got to pimp it out. Yeah. Somehow. Listen, you got to make these page limits or, or, or page requirements. Dark, dark days, I mean. I mean, listen. They're, they're all in America. You know, I can't, I, can't, I can't blame this annual for having filler. They've all had filler. Like, I feel like we're honestly in a better state than we were in, like, the 70s in terms of the quality of the filler content in these yeah, books. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was really dreading this pun pun <laughs> when I had a first look at it. But mm-hmm. it's, it's not bad. I mean, we've got some good stuff here. Yeah, oh, okay. It's all right. Anyway, at the and, oh, sorry, guys, and we've got and we've got we've got uh, Grant and somebody named after your best friend. <laughs> Listen, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a teamwork thing. So at the uh, at the Ally McGraw, of course, named for actress out Al- for actress Ally McGraw, McGraw A L I. Yeah, my from, notes. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. What are your notes here? Just that she's the actress from Love Story and The Getaway and stuff uh-huh. like that. Yeah. Can you hear me clapping? Hey, listen, I do these back. I do this. Uh, I'm a, I'm always quick to do a street or city block research thing. Um, yeah, who was she married to? Oh, I forget. I don't know. I can look it up, but you, you should probably tell yeah, me. Who was she married to? Yeah, that's, that's, you know, this is. Do you know? you know a classic of uh, uh, British cinema called The Great Escape? Of course, yes. Yeah, Steve McQueen. Oh, and then Robert yeah. Evans, the, or before that, yeah, Robert yeah. Evans. The kid stays in the picture, and so forth. Yeah, but Steve McQueen. Excellent. She, she was married to Steve McQueen. Um, yeah, so female box office star of the world in 1972. Absolutely, yeah. Listen, I'm a seen a bunch of these Steve McQueen movies. Oh man, Bullet! I was in a lived in San Francisco many years. Did that drive once? It's fun. Queen um, would, would have been a good tread. I can see it actually. Yeah, I don't know if I I don't know how I feel ultimately about a blonde dread i guess like to me he's always a brunette i guess but he wears a helmet but still but still you can sense it you can sense it <laughs> all right yeah i, I won't hear otherwise <laughs> but in the alley mcgraw a weirdo asks what we'd do if we had a giant satanic tapeworm named george living inside of us and he says that he went to a doctor, was called crazy, and thus began a uh, chainsaw murder spree. All right. As he kills another passerby who's also got this weird, like, Anderson curly hair. Oh, no. He's got this weird Anderson curly hair. The other guy's got kind of a, a racer head thing going on here. Um, <clears throat> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Uh, Tony, Tony Montana shower scene. Yeah. Although his, uh, his chainsaw is weird because it's got, like two grips on it like a like a rifle or something like that it's i don't know i haven't seen this this build of chainsaw before i guess that's warhammer mm, it's true yeah it does have again a very warhammery kind of feel to it these chain swords and so forth um elsewhere judge and judge cassandra anderson is arresting the britsit holy heister and getting a jeweled crucifix back when she gets a side flash of the chainsaw attack and rides out to investigate. And this is the uh, the nod to the theme by having, I believe, this guy be from Britsit. Um, yeah. 
She arrives to find this uh, chainsaw guy hacking the other guy up, complaining again that George, the satanic uh, tapeworm, is making him do these murders. I'll, I'll go back. Did you notice her doing a GTA Carmageddon on those uh, pedestrians and the salmon leap <laughs> while she's riding the bike? Oh, yeah. No, she jumps right on and just starts blasting through everybody. That's yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, that, that lady going. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, that is a GTA leap. <laughs> away Listen, from, uh, from yeah, bike. I don't got I don't got time to wait. You know, I got to get out of the way. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. You're right. Citizens, yeah. <laughs> get out! <laughs> this lady tisking, and this other guy just having his hair blown back as she uh, blasts past them. Excellent. I thought I thought Anderson had more empathy for the citizens than Dread. It really, it very much depends on what she's feeling like that day. I feel, I guess. I, mean, I, 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 I think she was partying based on her on how she looks t- today. Ah, uh, yeah, she's got the big hair going for sure. Yeah, frazzled. <laughs> so Anderson pulls a gun on this killer, and and when he explains um, about the George situation, she says she'll toss him in a coop cube that sets him off. And so you know, she just sort of raiders the lost Arksum here, just like shoots him through the chest, and that's kind of it, basically. Um, Anderson goes to call it in, but suddenly there is indeed a giant satanic tapeworm that rises from um, this guy's body. Oh no! I love you know that it's it's satanic because it comes out and it's got kind of this alien face, but then a pentagram uh, drawn on its forehead and stuff. Like, yep, that's satanic. All right, we got it. We, it, it ticks all the boxes. <laughs> and um, who's the man in the background? We got here. Oh, is that Alec Trench? No, Ice Cube of NWA. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> These references. That he's like you know. He's got to be over 200 at this point. Or no, 150 uh, or something like that. <laughs> like, he that, should, that you should crazy. be finding him. He's an elder, you know? <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so the worm attacks Anderson and starts to constrict her. All seems lost until, like, with quick thinking, she pulls that crucifix out of her belt and stabs the tapeworm in the head. And that kills it. And uh, good times. The day is saved. Anderson calls in, uh, calls that into into control, and they just say she's crazy too. Hopefully, that hasn't set her off on a kill spree. The end. Well, he got uh, crucifroted, and I think that eat crucifix creep is not entering the uh, comics uh, canon lingua catchphrases as much as eat lead. Creep. Yeah, no, yeah. Eat, eat crucifix is a is a tough one. It's very situational, you know. Like you really only on certain bad guys can you say that. You can't do say it all the time, which I guess we'll get to it later. But is sort of one of the long term problems of the Soul Sisters. You know, it's just sort of you can't use crucifix. Uh, like like people don't want to see crucifixes used constantly. You know, uh, bad lieutenants. Oh my. Um, <laughs> Nice. Speaking speaking of of uh, police officers and questionable actions, let's go to Thrill Three Red Razors. Conrad, can you give me some background on Red Razors because it's really, really out of my sure knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, so we're seeing the Red Razors team here. Uh, script robot Mark Miller, art robot Steve Yole, lettering robot Andy Parkhouse. Uh, he first appeared, yeah, in just the early days or towards the middle of volume one of the magazine. And 
He is a judge in a futuristic East Meg 2. Um, and futuristic from... After the Apocalypse War. Yes, yes. I mean futuristic from Dread's timeline. So Dread, it's like about um, 2114. And Razors takes place in 2177. So about 60, 60 some years in the future from where Dread is currently. Um, sort of in response, I guess, to early ni- to, to the early 90s when the Soviet Union fell, uh, this version of East Meg 2 has become uh, Sov Block 2 and has become very westernized. So there's yeah, a lot- th- those are my no- notes. I mean, I mean they're, I mean, they're just doing a sort of um, 90s, uh, early 90s Russian parody. Absolutely, yeah. It's okay. it's it's a parody of of like Russians that are into things from the 70s still because of like how long it takes for things to get over there. So there's a lot of like references to 70s TV shows and stuff like that, um, like Starsky and Hutch, etc. Um, and then in Sov Block 2, the way they do their judges, they um, – oh, and also sort of – also the city is full of uh, warrior-style like theme street gangs basically. Um, yeah, yeah. Warriors, warriors. By, I'm warriors by name and was by nature. Exactly. The warriors, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, – but so they basically take the toughest guys from these various street gangs and brainwash them and then turn them into judges and that's who who, who a Razors is. He was a big uh, criminal who was then sort of turned into a uh, into a judge and also he's got a uh, – he rides a horse who has a – who uh, uh, um, like can talk and has sort of a human brain put in, put in there as well. He was a former uh, uh, Texas City judge. We got the backstory for him. In a previous special. Um, and he just kind of does, like, honestly, like, Mark Miller-esque, like, sort of ultraviolence kind of things with, like, Yeah, some, kick-ass, man. Yeah, with, like, then sort of just some for fun, like, weird cultural references and stuff like that. That's basically what the deal with Red Razors is. Yeah, and, and the art bot in here, uh, Steve Yevo, finally somebody I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I um, think it's, it's fun. It's in, I think something that's interesting in this annual actually is that, um, so many of these, of these stories are, are in color in the magazine and they're all in black and white here. Only the dread stories in color in this yearbook. And so it's interesting. It's, it's, it's fun to see Steve Yolback in black and white art. I, I, I love his black and white stuff, but of course he's moved to color with stuff like this and like Zenith and in, in the, uh, in the progs right now and stuff like that. I remember him because. I read uh, Spider-Man and Zoids in London. Oh, nice! That's 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 a really old school comic in the eighties. <laughs> uh, co- combi- combine Spider-Man so what, and Zoids. Yeah. Do, do you know what Zoids are? Are they like a Transformers equivalent or something like that? I've I've, I've heard the name because I feel like I do remember both Steve Yule and maybe one other one or two other 2000 AD guys starting off in Zoids and then moving on to 2000 AD like that. I feel like that's a teeth cutter for a couple um, creatives. Um, I don't know. It's like Transformers in the UK. Uh, Zoids um, are Japanese mecha robots that you put together. They're not exactly Lego, but you uh, you need to construct them. Mm. Oh, okay. Parts. So like model kits or, kits or something. Interesting. Yeah, but they're plastic and they're precise uh, machined and you need to screw them up and you, you need to work on them. 
and they have batteries or wind up. And that was, it's basically Godzilla, uh, except toys. Mm. Not, not called Godzilla. And they added that to Spider-Man and there was a comic going out called Spider-Man. So it's a Spider-Man was the, uh, American. Mm-hmm. comic reprinted and then you had uh, zoids added to that to sell uh, those toys of course so they didn't have they didn't have a storyline you know like you know he-man or, or transformers and he was working on that with uh, grant morrison ah that's right yeah that's such a crazy <laughs> this is like zenith but doing uh japanese toy comics that's so funny just the yeah. um, before they were stars, I guess you know. Yeah, and he he worked on that before he went to 2018. Mm-hmm. And and Grant Morrison got his chops on that. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, the just the the moves between these things. I because I feel like I um I was in the 2018 annual. We we we, t- we talk a little bit about folks going or um Dave, who I talked to there, was sort of as a kid was about to move from. Uh, reading 2008 to like the Sonic comic in England and stuff. And I think it's just funny this sort of moving from 2008 to Sonic. Yeah, listen, that's no a regression. Hey, everybody move. Everybody goes in their own path. I say, um, but it's just funny, just sort of okay. that we've got this comic environment where they, you know, where we've got these things that seem a little bit more pre- like prestigious or trying to do art, sort of on the same shelves as things for as comics about toys or about um uh, video games and stuff <laughs> but so in this story and so, it, it, oh sorry also also yeah. evil wrote uh, the new adventures of hitler right yeah listen there's a broad mac there, there's a broad mix you know it can, the, you know the the thing about comics is that it's like if you had a whole bookstore but only on one shelf of the store of the uh of the supermarket you know there's, there's a lot going on <laughs> we've we've got we've got kick-ass who eventually uh eventually nicholas cage uh, appears mm-hmm. uh in the film and we've got uh, steve Buvel of uh new adventures of hitler <laughs> working <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, uh, it's cool. <laughs> Finally, we have some some names apart from uh, Grant and Wagner. Yeah, yeah I mean, folks yeah. show up, whatever you know. I don't know, but I guess speaking of unnecessary surgery, um, in South Block Two, a man named Kinski is strapped to a gurney as doctor te- doctors tell him not to worry. He's sort of asking about pain. They're saying, oh, don't worry about it." He he needs his appendix removed, and then becomes quite worried when the doctors pull out a, some big old ass saws, a lot of chainsaws actually in this one. And then, of course, his screams fill the air of uh, South Block Two. There's psychosurgeons on the loose, and Razor and Judge Razors is on the case, though he hasn't found any leads. Even after beating up the entire Tammy Wynette country wet country and western saloon, we see a, a uniformed sub. Were they line oh, dancing? Were they line line dancing before? Absolutely, yeah. Well, they were either line dancing or they were standing by their man. One of the, one of those two things, I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I, a uniformed judge answers questions from the press as Razors checks out another body. It's the psychosurgeon's thirtieth. So, yeah, like you said, actually, there's a serial killer theme in here as well, for sure. Um, free out of free out Definitely. A unif- um, so Razor's checks around looking for these disgraced doctors in the seedier parts of Sav Block when suddenly some citizen calls to him a purpose stolen, an old lady's purse. Oh, no. Uh, Razor's runs after him or rides after him, really, uh, riding horse Judge Ed. 
and follows the perp uh-huh. into a dark alley where he's ambushed by the psychosurgeons. They knock him out and carry him to the back of their of their ambulance. And Judge Ed, of course, is, you know, both a coward and just a horse. So he just sort of says, like, hey, like, I'm, I'm, I was just following orders. You know, he was just riding me. I didn't do nothing, you know. Did you see the smileys and the love posters previously? Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of the, yeah, on the, uh, on the walls as the perp's escaping. Ah, and I think he's got the smileys top hat as well. Ah, man. Yeah, and Lincoln has something on on him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. They let Judge Ed go and then carry Razor into this ambulance and uh, knock him out. <laughs> when Razor comes to, he's strapped to a table where the leader of the psychosurgeons, the consultant, greets him. The consultant explains that these doctors were so overworked, they've all gone insane and start killing people. Razor's doesn't seem impressed, but... You know, whatever, the consultant sort of goes into a supervillain monologue as he turns to get a giant, like, bone saw to cut open razors. But when he turns back around, razors has freed himself and beaten up all the other goons. Oh, no. Okay, how how did this happen? He's just that good, you know? I don't know. These doctors weren't ready for a real one, basically. (laughs) Okay, he's trapped down, and what did he do? That's... (laughs) Uh, yeah. Turn back and no, he's just really good at beating people up. Honestly, I mean, I think that's they definitely don't give a hint as to how he was able to free himself or silently beat up all these dudes. He just sort of was able to because that's his talent, basically. <laughs> just uh, for for your way out of that. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, him just beating up all these dudes uh, instantly it is a slightly classier version of how a couple of these stories are going to end later in the annual where they're like, oh, we've only got seven pages, so what do you expect us to do, you know? I mean, with Dread, you'd at least expect him to bite off his uh, uh, chains or yeah, no, his arm. Yeah, or, I mean, or, yeah you definitely have like an explanation of how he was able to do it, whereas Razor's just sort of figured it out, I guess. He's beat, yeah, he's beating up all these guys. He does kind of a palm strike in the mode of gaze into the Fist of Dread. And, um, you know, the day is saved as the consultant complains that Razor's has broken his nose and he's clearly not so quick to spill his own blood versus, um, everyone else's. Anyway, Dread, um, sorry, Razor's carries him off. Is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> Do you yeah. know the rave music reference here? No, I'm inter- No, what, uh, sorry, I'm not a huge rave person. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear yeah, it, though. That's, that, that's, that's classic rave. A doctor in the house. Uh, that's, ah. that's rave music. Is there a doctor in the house? That's classic. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, that, yeah, that, so weaved in here. That's cool. That go, goes with the smiley faces uh, previously and the love uh, on those po- posters. Hmm. Interesting. I guess Yol's deep in this now. I guess that's might be why um, over, over in Zenith right now, Acid Archie is um, such a such, such such a rave guy as well. <laughs> Sort of the influence no, I mean, of those guys. I mean, I mean, I used to be. I I was a DJ back in the. Oh, nice. Back in the, but not <laughs> in London. Ooh, cool. All right. So speaking of, I guess heading to London or the uh, the, the passage back to Britsit, we can go to three hundred four Atlantis, which is some classic. Nineteen eighty-five reprint. Thank God. Absolutely. Yeah. This one. Um, 
Yeah, uh, script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant is T.B. Grover. Art robot Brendan McCarthy, lettering robot Tim F- uh, Tom Frame. And uh, this story, yeah, like you said, originally ran from Prague's 485 to 488. Uh, Space Spinner episodes 153 to 154. McCarthy is the god. He's definitely like we're – it's a shame actually both here and in the Prague's this was in black and white because there's certainly space for some amazing color in the course of this story for sure as he sort of creates not just this setting of Atlantis but basically all of the Britsit Judicial Department as well. Like this is the, the first appearance of so Britsit beautiful. judges and all this stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, this is so beautiful and the work he did on Fury Road, I mean. Of course. If I was Fox, I'd go, chef kiss. <laughs> Absolutely. Here we go again. Yeah, this classic uh, dread story, Atlantis, a mile beneath the Black Atlantic, midway between Mega City 1 and Britsit, is the undersea city of Atlantis. And oh, it looks cool. All these big underwater domes and giant sea creatures floating around it and stuff like that. Um, I guess there's a this bunch of... This artwork is so incredible. I mean... Uh, Absolutely, oh, yeah. So detailed. McCarthy's really great at 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 blending in these high tech futuristic settings with this really cool, uh, like organic deep sea artwork and stuff like that. All these rays and starfishes and stuff. Plus, I feel like also just the way he draws Mega City One often is a bit organic, sort of with all these like domes and tendrils and stuff like that as well. Um, I guess there's a bunch of cities along this undersea tunnel. And, I, and of course, we saw an earlier version of it in the shared continuity of 2000 AD in a very early uh, Harlem Heroes story where um, Dave Gibbons drew them also in an Atlantic tunnel sort of between um, uh, America and the UK. We see but this ter- is the first sorry. appearance of Atlantis, isn't it? Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like it's, a, it's like a checkpoint, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, this 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 halfway point, basically, where the border between Britsit and uh, Mega City One is. I mean, we'll see that actually in a late in, yeah. in the story yeah. later. This, this annual, that's why yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that same thing of trying to get to the border and stuff like that. You know, I guess that yeah, it, you know, I always. Just think of general state lines, because here in America, that's such a big thing, like Dukes of Hazard or something like that. You know, you got to cross that, cross those state lines, the cops can't follow you. But yeah, I guess Checkpoint Charlie's a better international version of that between, between, Berlin. It would have been been in popular culture. Oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so, um, we see a tourist attraction showing these cool, um, we, these cool, like, undersea mutants of the Black Atlantic, um, including, like, these, uh, giant coral rays, um, a hundred feet long. They're huge. It can chew through steel, but one of them has a dead human body hanging out of its mouth. Oh no! <sighs> Meanwhile, on the Britsit side of the tunnel, we get our first look at a Britsit judge as they shape a perp onto the megacity side of the tunnel right into the arms of Judge awesome, Dredd. Awesome helmet. Awesome. I, I Absolutely. Loved lion. And I loved, I loved the lion at the, at the beginning of the Britsit uh, tunnel. Yeah, there's a giant lion statue. It, he, uh, judge Armour here has a lion both on his helmet, his shoulder, and the front of his uh, of his bike and stuff. Yeah, it's that, very that looks, that, Yeah, that looks so cool. I mean, um, I think I think the 
it looks a lot cooler than the than the Nikon, but I'm, I may be prejudiced. <laughs> Hong Kong. I mean, I will say, I bet the uh, I bet the lion's a lot easier to draw than <laughs> the eagle. You don't have to deal with all these feathers. You know, that's ridiculous. Like you just like five lines, and you got a lion. You know. <laughs> But yeah, listen, I feel like if you're, you know, whatever, for better or for worse, if you are, if you're going for fascism, I feel like eagle, you know, eagle's the traditional animal, you know, it's sort of how it goes. Yeah, yeah, you have to go for, you have to go for eagle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so I like seeing these, these uh, moments of like the, the, of the judges dealing with the border and sort of working together and stuff like that. Like, that's fun. Um and uh, Dredd takes down the perp, and the driver's arrested, and then both yeah, judges... Yeah, but did, did, you, did, you notice, did you notice how he just casually knocks on, on his window, going, hello, yeah. <laughs> pull off. <laughs> yeah, just drives up. I mean, I mean... <laughs> Well, because the it's the 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 driver that's being arrested here, his crime isn't um he's not like hitting people and stuff. He's just like driving really fast and weaving between traffic, basically. So yeah. he doesn't even really seems like he knows he's committed a crime because like when they're taking him away, he's saying like I'm an experienced driver, I can weave if I wanna, and they're like not for twelve months. You can't. You're going to the cubes. That kind of stuff. I I I have a friend who plays Tetris. In traffic and really, really, it's like driving. Around. <laughs> he, he 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 does this, and if you, uh, he weaves and tries to figure out how he can fit in between the lanes. I'm just right. Going, no, no. Yeah, like it's no. not. Stick, it's not. A, it's, your lane. it's not a logic we're, we're puzzle. It'll be okay. Puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I know what you're talking about. Um, but so both judges are. Um, are, are called out because, again, they found this coral reef uh, uh, ray with human remains in it. Bad times. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not the impossible meat that we had, that they had previously. No, if anything, did it's, you some, know, it's some kind did of turducken, you know? <laughs> did you notice the synth meat reference previously? Oh, I don't know if I did. Meat substitute. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's all we got here in, in in the future. You know, like I mean, in uh, in in Mega City One, it's all um, whatever uh, months and stuff. Yeah, but but, but again, two thousand AD foresaw the future. Nowadays, we're eating impossible meat and uh, meat uh, substitutes, and they were doing this mm -hmm. thirty four years ago, thirty five. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. It is sort of this. I, mean, I feel like we are, I don't know, we're, especially as we're reading now, we're seeing way more environmental stuff generally in 2000 AD in the early 90s. You know, we've, we're about to start our second uh, round of dead meat and stuff like that. Just these, um, like, while dead meat isn't prescient in terms of like America dis uh, being flooded and then uh, having a massive drought and dissolving and stuff, I think the move, yeah, just the real, like, Everyone is realizing that like meat production does take a lot of resources and stuff like that for sure. Um, and they foresaw this. They they foresaw this thirty five years ago. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely. Synth meat. Yeah. And those helmets are going to triangle again. I mean, yeah. Again, just the, this McCarthy um, style. You know, he loves these wider helmets i like that there's a uh, a judge that's been radioed and it looks like the radio transmitter is coming from inside <laughs> yeah. his helmet which is popped open like, like a cuckoo clock basically yeah yeah i was gonna mention that 
That's <laughs> I mean, he needs a head cannon there. Oh man, yeah. Listen, no one, no one expects it. Or alternately, like a throwing star, like in that one uh, Dan Dare uh, story. Where's but, that head? Where did I get that head cannon from? I know there's, there's got. I'm I'm remembering a 2000 AD thing where someone's got a gun that pops out of their head. I mean, that just sort of seems obvious. I think I remember, like, if you had to ask me about somebody with a head gun, I would say uh, the Neil Stevenson book, uh, the, the Diamond Age. Has yeah, yeah. Features pretty it, heavily. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I, th- that's the first thing I think of when someone's got a, got a head mounted gun, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. When, when he, when he tries to, that dude that tries to jack uh, some, mm-hmm. uh, Neo Victorian guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, he tries to jack some, uh, Neo Zulu. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. The Neo Victorians are later in that book. Um, which also I feel like pre that's a book that presaged like giving kids an iPad basically, <laughs> but dread heads down to this um, tourist attraction where a repair sub is flying out, zapping the ray. And then they cut open its stomach and find human remains inside. Oh, bad times. Oh, that's, that's a really disgusting scene. <laughs> the, we then go to the next uh, uh, story from the Progs here, which sort of opens with a picture of Dread, but then quickly uh, changes perspective, this time from the point of view of the killer. She'd been in, in Atlantis for nine years, and we see this woman working at a nightclub, meeting a nice eloping couple. She calls into her husband and learns that the judges have found the body that they stashed outside the Black Atlantic. They've got to be careful, but they say no one can tie them to the body, or so they hope. Instead, they carry. They decide to carry on as normal as they owe Doc Duckworth another payment. So the woman um, heads back to the couple. Says, "I've been telling my husband all about you." Meanwhile, Swingers. Yeah, listen, we all know what's going on here. They can't say it in nineteen eighty four. It seems, but come on. Um, Yeah, let's have (laughs) let's have some fun. It's Friday. (laughs) Come back to my place. I mean, we've all been there. Very, absolutely, I guess. I don't know. Wait, what? Um, mean, meanwhile, Dredd and uh, this Britsit judge, uh, Judge Armour, I believe, we'll, we'll find out, he's called, are investigating. And here's where we see Armour's uh, chin star, uh, star chin tattoo, I guess. Um, is he Armour? I think so. I believe Armour is the one that has the chin. Like ha- I definitely know that Judge Armour has a chin tattoo, and usually they just always have the same judge represent these places and stuff. But I don't know. Have, don't they all have the same chin tattoo? No, I feel Stop. like yeah. a lot of Britsit judges don't, ha- or they, they, they. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I don't know. I'm. I thought this was, but I don't think they actually say this judge's name as they talk to him. Gomori. Okay. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Could be. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll just call him the Britsit judge. We'll even it out. Um, so Lion yeah. judge. Exactly. An artificial hip has been found in the belly of the ray from a different body, not the one they initially found. Later, we see the elopers come to the killer's apartment where they're met by the husband, Eric, and their son, Leslie, who's some kind of hairy mutant, and sarcastically walks off, sarcastically warning them about their impending murder. <laughs> come on, buddy. <laughs> As you do. And indeed, the couple is fed poison, champagne with an SH, um, and then die from being poisoned. Do you think he's a wolf man or, or what? 
Yeah, I mean, he's got like claws and stuff, so I'd say he's a wolf kid. Certainly, some, you know, he's some kind of mutant and just weird enough to um, to get you in trouble in the anti-mutant landscape of both Mega City 1 and Britsit. Um, so it looks like these folks um, kill people and steal their money because they got to pay blackmail to their doctor to hide the truth about their mutant son. Um, so I guess they're mostly looking for people, yeah, that are trying to make new lives or move away because that means that, um, you know, they probably got a lot of disposable cash on them and stuff like that. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, if I was a psycho killer like Mallory um, and Mal from Natural Born Killers, I, mm-hmm. I would at least have a party with them before, yeah. before. I mean, I, I would say that, that, yeah, those guys definitely did party, although I don't know if everybody was enjoying it as much even as these murdered folks did. <laughs> Not a lot of champagne drinking, as I recall. <laughs> no, 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 they partied. But, uh, it's true. It, it, champagne it, it, drinking by the, by, by the victims, maybe, is what I'm, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but so the judges continue investigating. It's clear that the dead man was killed here in Atlanta, so it's time to go hunting for these killers next time. That's, that's, that's some uh, really hardcore detecting on the, on their part. I mean, I, mean, I guess it took some work. Really did the footwork, and I mean, analyzed it, and yeah. figuring it out. <laughs> I mean, I guess Stella. In theory, it could have been someone that fell off a boat or was eaten somewhere else and then the ray migrated here or something like that. But yeah, you're right. It's not not as big a twist as you'd like, certainly. Anyway. Ryan Ryan Rowley, of course, being VP of Panasonic Europe. Ah, interesting. Yeah, the... uh... That's the, the name of the first victim, or this most recent victim, I guess. Interesting. But so, thus, uh, we'll continue this one later in the yearbook. Eric Jekyll, your time's up! Just I really couldn't great figure classic out who Eric here. Jekyll was. I mean, that's the name Supposed of the, uh, that's the husband, I believe. Um, yeah, but who is he, who is he supposed to be uh, in real life? Because mm, like, every time we have a character... Yeah, that, yeah, a reference to something, sure. I mean... I would, like, my immediate thought is, like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I guess, sort of with this Wolfman kid, or this, like, like, like sort of monster kid, I guess. And then if you think that they're sort of being really two-faced about sort of pretending to be swingers, basically, but then being murderers or something. Um, mm-hmm. Could be a little bit of the duality of that character, I guess, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's, it seems like a reference, but I'm not sure what it's referring to. But, hey, listen, speaking of complicated backstories, let's talk to 305 Democracy. And this one's just a filler, basically. Um, it's, it's, it's what the paper said, a sort of a text piece which uses original art from the progs and new writing to create various megacity newspapers chronicling the uh, pro-democracy events of Mega City 1 in, the re- in recent history. It starts with... The death of Hester Hyman and others um, as part of the uh, Democratic Tendency um, attack then goes through various press smears and coverage of that big democracy march at Justice Central and finally to the big election we saw at the end of uh, 1991. The coverage shifts between mostly between the uh, party line authoritarian times of Megacity and the more radical uh, Democratic Bulletin. 
with sort of pops in from Bishop Desmond Snodgrass, who I guess showed up in both Democratic tendency and was sort of questioned during the um, during the democracy vote as well. He was one of the talking heads on the news for that. I mean, Blonde Dupre was a really important figure in, in mm-hmm. this uh, in democracy now, and um, I'm getting some major current day PTSD. <laughs> from this really certainly really. i mean it's it's interesting because i mean for i feel like i feel like this one has a di- like almost kind of hi- might hit different um for americans just because for us uh um you know democrat is one of our parties as opposed to a more general um like put like like um you know having de- ha- having a, um the democrats be part of a democracy as opposed to just the concept of democracy in general i guess sort of you know mm-hmm. small d democrat versus large d democrat i guess um but yeah i mean i feel like this is you know when we talk about this like having these big elections and then um you know both their outcomes and the political um messaging around them and stuff i mean certainly this felt like this felt th- th- this felt like it was it, it it had some big links when we were talking about it in fall of last in, in fall of 2020 as well you know like it's an it's 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 definitely very interesting um how this stuff can carry over to, you know f- cuz i i feel like in 90 it was very much talking about like the election where like uh, john major was elected and stuff uh, just like yeah, that, but that, 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 that was leading to a golden age of global Britain. Uh, that was that was mm. fantastic, open Britain. That we had uh, fifteen years of a fantastic country. <laughs> and then I know, like the initial democratic tendency stuff was right, sort of was towards the or what was right at the heart of like Thatcherism in the UK and stuff like that. I think it's a really interesting how, again, and we talked about this with like Judge Cal too, I think, um, how these stories can be written about specific times when they came out, but then are also feel applicable to, to the present day, to the situations that, that, that we're living through now. I think it is interesting just sort of I, – I, I like how they have sort of picked these different voices for these newspapers and stuff like that. I think it is kind of interesting um, like the, yeah, the, and, and sort of how they cover sort of the, these different events that we've seen mostly either from Dredd's point of view or sometimes from the Democratic organizers and stuff. I don't know. It's, it's fun. Um, I mean – Like, I don't know, better than a regular tech story I guess, which can be really dense. This one went, went very quickly. <laughs> I mean, I can understand um, why the judges have to be how they have to be because, you know, it's a, uh, post-apocalyptic and pre-apocalyptic endgame uh, scenario and uh, you have to survive somehow. Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I you know, I feel like it's also because they're trying to they're, – they're trying to do these – satires and parodies and make these references to the present day and stuff like that you know so it's sort of like i feel like if they're like i don't know a real judge dread i feel like or a, a an actual version of this might not be as hardcore as they are but it's sort of is or alternately they would have they would have immediately accepted uh judd's um decision to dumb down the populace and stuff like that yeah, I'll go judge death on them. Right, exactly. Yeah, there's just a lot of outcomes that I don't know. That just because I feel like, and we and we see this as the years go on, that 
the way Megas I don't know if the way that Mega City One is currently set up is really a, a sustainable uh, situation, especially in the face of what their world is becoming. Because it's funny you say both post and pre-apocalypse. I think I kind of think of Mega City One as just being like like sort of um, shambling from one apocalypse to the next, basically. Like it's sort of omni-apocalyptic almost. You know, there's one every couple years, basically. <laughs> Yeah, only the judges are able to stop the next apocalypse, but they're also causing it. Yeah, it's tough. You know, it's one of those Batman things where they, they cause, they solve problems, but often problems that they themselves have have caused, you know? <laughs> oh, it's tough out there for judges. Well, you, well, you can't win. I mean, but you can do your best. And speaking of trying to take down these perps, let's continue to Psycho Part Two. Same same crew as as before. It's 11 p.m. and the news has picked up the killings. He's at 27 when word comes in about the Elster House, adding 59 to his kill count to a total of 94. He's getting close, honestly. Uh, we that's see some. A, that's only the official count. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, there's more that have not been found yet. You're right. Um, the citizens that are watching this news report get a knock on their door. And indeed, when they open it, it is the killer. Oh, he just blows off the top quarter of this dude's head with his disintegrator. Kind of funny um, um, door answer. He's like, evening, madam. Serial killer. As he <laughs> opens the door. Um, so he's also got a chin thread. Dread chin, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, strong chin for this guy. You know, I guess that's just sort of how, how Hunter's drawing him a little bit. Um, so um, we also learned that we, we learn a little bit about the current holder of the of the murder record, Mad Tony Newton, who it seems injected his victims with gas capsules, causing them to swell up to huge proportions when they died. But in the Psycho Cubes, Lefty Batty is clearly pissed that Newton is getting that credit. As Dredd comes to his cell. Why is Dredd wearing a cadet helmet? Yeah, there's a coloring error here where um, as Dredd talks to Blatty, the red in his helmet hasn't been filled in. Yes, he's got a cadet white helmet here. Shame. That's a shame. Just that's something that got missed in the process, in in the coloring process, I think. Which is tough because I I actually like this – a lot of this cube stuff, especially there's a part where Dredd's walking down the halls and you can see every all the uh, lights of the bars and stuff reflected in his helmet that I think is is, is really nice. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Todd Colors style. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta color it. You gotta get the colors right, you know. Um, so Blatty uh, knows that Dredd's here to learn more about the copycat. And again, like we talked about Silence of the Lambs before. This story is called Hands Across the. This section is called Hands Across the Water, by the way. But this is clear. He you know he knows this is basically a Silence of the Lambs situation where Dredd's talking to him to try to get learn more about the psyche of this right-handed killer, basically. Um, Blatty tries to bargain and Dredd's like, nah, how would you just tell me or we'll send you to electrotherapy, all right? Blatty's yeah, like, okay. the old, the old uh, <clears throat> justice department method of tell us what you want or we're going to torture you. Yeah, like you can either – like we, we won't give you something – for you giving us the information, but we might not do something if you give to you if you give us yeah, the information. I mean, bit Gestapo, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's their prerogative, right? I mean, it's the Justice Department. Um, Blatty says the killers probably already got the record. To be honest, they just haven't found the bodies yet. Also, he knows that the killer is from Britsit, and that's the tie-in. 
he sort of goes off. I have notes about that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but he goes off about how um, he, his killing 129 people in a couple hours is acknowledged by the Brit Sit Book of Records, making um, as that making him the best serial killer because the previous guy did took a much longer time to kill his 134. And so Blatty doing 129 in three hours is like, like that, that sort of creates like a ratio of murder that clearly makes him the best serial killer or whatever. And only someone from Britsit would think that. And so um, someone coming here trying to break his record as like by, you know, doing the left, the right handed killings means that he's referring to whatever. It means he's from Britsit. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you about that later. Okay. I guess, you know, in this whatever Guinness Book of Killer Records or something. Anyway, Dredd's like, interesting. But as he goes to go, Blatty's like, but you'll never find him because I'm going to I'm about to stab you with this syringe I've got hidden. But of course, you know, Dredd's made of stern stuff and just like basically just grabs Blatty and smashes his face into his bars and takes him out instantly. He's like, you know, I'm going to add you to my score. And Dredd just says, don't be absurd and knocks him out instantly. You know, no wonder you're in a psycho cube, Blatty. <laughs> okay, he's, a, he's in a psycho cube, which should be a higher degree of security from an ISO cube. Where did he get hmm. that? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess he's probably injected a lot of, by, with things, but you're right. It's not. It's not well explained why that would. Why he. Would, why you would get a sharp object when you're in the cubes in the first place. You know, or behind a glass wall. I mean, it's not even a glass wall here. It's uh, it's bars. This has less security than the one in Silence of the Lambs, actually. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean he, he Hopkins had to work for it. get out of that. <laughs> I mean, this, this this guy this guy this guy has a. A uh, syringe, screwdriver, whatever, and he's going through bars. Yeah, that, well, that's that's why this guy's that, that's why Blatty's not going to get the Academy Award, you know. Uh, <laughs> so Dredd calls in the new info and is told to head to Grunder Pedway. There's a man running amok with the disintegrator. Meanwhile, the news reports more right arms at the Exotica massage parlor, bringing the kill tally to 103. And at do you the, think they got that ha- happy end? <laughs> I mean. You know, I think they got a happy middle because their actual end was being dis- disintegrated, you know? Yeah, well, going out on, ha- on a high note. I'm just saying, yeah, don't don't shine a black light on those hands. You know, you might not like what you find. Yeah. <laughs> At the Pedway, a dude calling himself the right-hand serial killer um, is blasting folks, and he just kind of gets – Shot a couple times and then Dredd kicks him in the face and talks to him and immediately he's not um, – we know this guy is just a, a copycat of a copycat, which is just lame, buddy. You're a copy of a copy. Um, also, he's using a scatter blaster, not a disintegrator, guys. Come on. Whatever. <laughs> Control then calls Dredd and Britsit has identified from the fingerprints the killer as Keith Richard Branson Pickles. Um, and I should say, um, it's kind of funny because in the 2000 AD yearbook this year, there was also a serial killer – or no, actually not a serial killer. A, it, it was in the Bix Barton story, this um, Buffalo Bill inspi- uh, from Sounds of the Lamb inspired character who was stealing men's mouths in a weird situation. 
But so, I don't know. There's that. And then also, of course, as, as we're recording this, it's the weekend that Richard Branson went into space. So it sort of feels uh, uh, yeah, equally, yeah. equally topical, I guess. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I wish, I wish uh, Keith Richard Branson pickles would join his, his cousin. <laughs> Get up there. Absolutely. Oh, wait, no. Was it Bezos? Well, I guess him and Bezos both went into space, I guess. Whatever. Yeah. uh, And they should uh, take uh, Musk on on the way there. Yeah. Um, No. Get all these billionaires out of here. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Just send them up there with a psycho kennel. Yeah. It's fine. Have a murder on the Space Express. Whatever. (laughs) Do you get the away day reference here? I don't think so. I don't know. Uh, Tell me, please. I'm sort of. Okay, because away day trips are a thing in Britain. You take a train from your the city that you live in, you take it ah. somewhere else, and you you go for uh, a day. You get drunk, you you eat, and you, <laughs> you watch watch a football match. Excellent, and you and you go shopping or you go stealing, and then at the End of the you day, just stumble back, back to the home. train and and head home. Excellent. Head home. This I guess is, we just we don't have the trains. We don't have the infrastructure for that in America. I guess this is <laughs> this is the theme of this prog. Because oh. yeah, we can we can go into detail later. Mm-hmm. But away day is a trip uh, in hooligan culture. It's <laughs> a trip where you go off to get drunk, do some violence, do some criming. And then come back home. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So he's going. I wasn't aware of. Yeah, so he's, that's cool. So he's going from Britsit to Mega City and back. Right. Just to have an away day of uh, getting the murder record, I guess. <laughs> it, so, took, yeah. it took me a while to, to, to realize this, but uh, I realized this on this page. For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. For sure. Yeah, that's definitely information I didn't have before. Yeah, but so he, again, did this away day to uh, Mega City One, and now he's on the Zoom back home to Britsit. He's getting away! And we'll oh! conclude this later in the yearbook. <laughs> but first, we got to get biblical, and I guess more crucifix fights with Thrill Seven Soul Sisters. Uh, script robot David Bishop and Dave Stone, art robot Shaky Kane, letting robot Ellie Deville. I, so, I have no idea who Shaky Kane is. He, I mean, he's um, the, he's an artist, of course. But I mean, yeah, he's done he's done a couple things in the magazine, both Soul Sisters, and then one, one or two other things. He's he's got a very he's got a very Marmite style, I guess. Like you either like it or you hate it, I guess. Um, but that one that feels feels very uh, influenced by uh, by kind of Silver Age superhero comics, to me at least. Yeah, that that was my note. I mean, um, this this is uh, what uh, Marvel or DC style. I mean, I would say it's specifically Jack Kirby style. I guess like who who who's done both. But if you you know if you compare this to say some of Kirby's like New Gods stuff or. Um, even just his early, like, Fantastic Four work or something like that. Like, b- the line style, the way people's faces look, sort of the a, a lot of the settings and action poses and yeah, stuff feels it, very it similar to really that. Yeah, it is really It is. Like, especially when you – or, like, when you look at, like, technology and stuff like that, it's got that sort of, like, really over-designed Kirby feel, I think. 
Um, but so we see a narrator type guy telling us that the soul sisters have been missing for 10 years since their secret hideout was blown up. The only survivor, their beloved pet soul hamster who has uh, funky shades, cyber hands and kind of a street dialect. He's like the, uh, the uh, you know. The er version of an early '90s like hyper cool Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles type character type character here, um, and he says we got to bring the Soul Sisters back because oh there's an apocalypse going on, and we cut to just that as a bunch of you know demon types sort of standing over a city as people are attacked by hellfire and guns shooting demon tridents and all that kind of stuff. Can you dig it? Exactly. Listen, it's an exciting time. Can, no, can you, you take it? it? No, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm referencing that. That's Cyrus. <laughs> Bring that, it back. These warriors, <laughs> that of course. Yeah. <laughs> I said, so, I said we were going to be referencing that. And... Definitely, yeah. I got that look, kind of, yeah, that uh, warriors kind of look. Britsit has been destroyed. In the middle of all this are the graves of the Soul Sisters. Then the graves is struck by lightning, and the Soul Sisters live again. They also get a divine stone tablet dropped on them, telling them to go to hell to fix all this stuff. So, a few impure thoughts later, they're on their way. Um, in hell, they dodge a big demon and fight some smaller ones. But um, they do all this very quickly before finding the evil doorway leading to the evil mastermind behind all this. Mr. Bland, the incredibly uninteresting man. Who is um, this supposed to be? I don't know. It's just some kind of old guy, I guess. Is this sub- supposed to be Stanley? I mean, it's this. It, this is not what Stanley looked like in um, in nineteen ninety two or in the seventies. I think he's always kind of got these like winged hair and a mustache and stuff. Plus, like this guy talks British. Like he says, like like they ask him why he destroyed the world, and he says, "I thought it'd be a bit of a laugh." Um, is it is this some some editor? Of, it could be like an like like a uh, like an office type or something like that. He's definitely got like kind of a, just a somebody from IPC. Yeah, or, I don't know, boring corporate type kind of look. But so he said, destro- he says destroying the world would be a bit of a laugh. And the Soul Sisters are like you. They basically scold him into putting everything back the way it was and so it is and the day is saved what do you want from seven pages the end forever of soul sisters we'll never see him again <laughs> well thank god <laughs> ah, literally thank, thank god uh, this is the first time i i've seen soul sisters and i never want to see them again it's yeah, again like i think shaky i think kane's artwork is really interesting i guess just because i'm a i really like a lot of that old silver age stuff and so this sort of iteration on it i think is a really unusual look but yes i mean soul sisters itself what was wasn't, the script here? wasn't a great wasn't a great comic it's one of these things I, I feel like i've talked about a lot where um you can get too meta about stories where like you sort of are trying to comment we are like, going to get meta we're going to get more meta absolutely oh yeah no we're on this is the meta half of the comic um or the the the, the meta section of the comic but um it's one of these ones where like the joke is supposed to be that like you the, the joke is trying to be that you're lampshading that like there's lazy parts of this comic but it's not that funny so it just means that you've got kind of a lazy comic basically <laughs> You know, um, and it's something that I feel like is uh, is often the problem when these comics try to be funny. Like they just don't have enough to do it in, I guess. I mean, the artwork is uh, cool. I mean, I, I, I would, would say, that, I, yeah, I'd I, say I would put that on a wall. But 
I, I feel I feel uh, abused by just <laughs> reading this. Yeah, the artwork is interesting, but it's not enough to kind of make up for what feels like just kind of a lazy, um, a lazy script, I guess. Tweet, um, tweet. Yeah, and I guess speaking of um, saving space, let's go to Thrill Eight Armitage. Uh, script robot Dave Stone, art robot Sean Phillips. Very quick text story here, basically a, th- a three pager. Um, yeah, but Sean does some really fantastic work in the future. I mean, I've got, I've got a couple of his, couple of his uh, comics, but he, he usually works in color. Absolutely, yeah. No, we're we're big fans of Sean Phillips here on the Met in the uh, in, in in Big Meg One. But yeah, this one's interesting. Like, uh, honestly, a lot of these year books are interesting because, like, this year because there is a lot of of artists who I think of as working exclusively in color, working in black and white. In this case, this story, th- this is a text story, but it's got two big like plates of uh, um, images basically that feel very Victorian. They sort of have these characters, but they're standing on like what looks like cut out like a wallpaper prints or something like that, sort of forming both wallpaper and carpeting of this setting that they're in. Um, the story itself, there's a murder on an airship that Armitage and Treasure Steel are on coming back to Britsit, and it gets a very murder on the Orient Express kind of feel. They do a drawing room gathering of suspects, and there's sort of this amateur sleuth kind of character and anyway, it turns out, um, and again, it's like a, it's like, if you look at the, at the text, it's like two columns of text. It's very short. Um, but so they basically just jump that the, that the killer is in fact the amateur Poirot style sleuth who admits then to like being the person who's killed all the people in his various stories. It's not that they just happen to happen around him. And in response, the guests throw him off the side of the ship they're on. And then as they pass into Britsit space, um, Armitage and Treasure Steel arrest those socialites that killed the killer. <laughs> so what? That's a uh, five on five? Psycho killers? Definitely a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, I feel – yeah, you're uh, right. This is a de- definitely another one. Psycho- I mean, kiss kisse, you know? It's tough out there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's five on five. We've had, we've had psycho killer, psycho killer, another psycho killer. I mean, Ar- Armitage is a cool dude. He's a corruption-hating, uh, alcoholic uh, British detective. I mean, that's pretty, yeah. pretty standard. Very cop on the edge, but also very just sort of like standard BBC TV show, I feel like. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like... On the the edge. (laughs) Yeah, cop on... Listen, you know... He's a Blade Runner. (laughs) It's only a matter... Like, he's, you know... I feel like every Armitage story does involve him turning in his badge at some point. You know, he doesn't even carry a gun anymore because whatever... (laughs) Like you're off the case. A lot of being told he's off the case, and that this ain't over. You know, (laughs) all all he needs to do is just look at you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He sees right through you. The evil evil comes out of you as as he looks at you. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of the evil within, let's go to Thrill Nine Atlantis Part Two. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so, yeah, we're back in the past. This Atlantic, Atlantis story continues. I really like this opening. The opening part of the story, things get really staccato. There's like 17 panels on this one page as we sort of see 
um, both like this body being, or as we see Eric Jekyll using his uh, job as the at, at the Atlantic at the Atlantis serviceplex to go out and hide these bodies in the Black Atlantic and stuff like that. Just these these flashes of sea creatures, and then into the city, and then deeper into the tunnels beneath the city, and then Jekyll arriving on things. It's very cinematic and like kind of and, and, and very cool. These staccato cuts. Uh, this is beautiful, definitely. And this time. Um, Jekyll takes his time getting the coral mantis to eat the bodies completely. He thinks he's safe in all this, but the judges are definitely investigating. They, uh, check the bodies they found last episode, finding cyanide in the body's system. And that points straight to the tunnels where Eric works, because those are the only people that has access to cyanide in, um, in Atlantis, apparently. It's a controlled substance there. Conrad. Hmm. Tell me what a drugstore is for you. I mean, Liz, I feel like you can definitely get cyanide over the counter here in the States, like as rat poison or something like that, yeah, right? But what, what is a drugstore for you? A drugstore is, I mean, it's another word for like a convenience store or something like that. Like there's a pharmacy there and they'll also sell just like if you need like basic goods like food and maybe like little toys or other things like that. Makeup, etc. Is it a bodega? Yeah, it's similar. Well, I mean, I would say a bodega is a kind of drugstore because that's very specifically like a New York City thing. And they often have like hot food and there might be a cat involved because a drugstore could also just be like sort of a very corporate chain kind of thing. Like a like we have got places like CVS or Walgreens out here that are also sort of drugstores. OK, so so what is a pharmacy for you? I mean, a pharmacy like – a pharmacy's like a place inside a store. It's like there aren't a lot of freestanding pharmacies, but it's where you know where they ma- where they have sort of wh- where you get your medication, right? So maybe they have mixers, but a lot of times it's just where they store like a lot of controlled substances, things you need a prescription from a doctor to be able to get. Okay, so pharmacy is an uh, drugstore. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, basically, it's, what's it's- a chemist for you? I know a chem. I, I know that for other people, like in other places, a chemist is kind of similar to a ph- to a to a pharmacy or a pharmacist. But we don't have those in the states, or at least not where I've lived. Because like because like a chemist is literally some a scientist that works with chemicals in the in, in the U.S. Because this is my note on this page. Because I'm mixing up a lot of stuff that might not be obvious for um, American listeners. Because in the UK, chemist is a freestanding store where you go and they have uh, general hygiene-related things. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you might have somebody in the corner. No, you you or you always have somebody in the corner se- selling uh, mm, reception. Uh, receipt uh, drugs and the mm-hmm. sort of stuff you need, you need script for. Right. And for instance, uh, boots, if you say boots in the UK, that means a drugstore. Okay. Interesting. That's, I've heard of that, I've heard of that store, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, all these, and, you know. And boots also means a chemist, but you also go into boots and you buy uh, hair products and mm-hmm. you buy condoms and you buy, um, vitamins uh but you sure. you want uh, protein bars but you won't go in there and buy uh food for your cat 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. Most, Most of our stores, yeah, they're like they're they're more generalized, I guess. Sort of a general, like I think, like maybe convenience store is another term we use for something like that, which will also often have a pharmacy in it where you can get those drugs and stuff. Interesting. Oh man, you know these little differences always crop up. You know. So meanwhile, <laughs> Eric and Audrey, these killers, are trying to figure out what they're going to do. They decide they've got to escape Atlantis with their mutant son Leslie and do it using a repair sub. But since he's a mutant, he's too mutated to go out to go out undisguised. So instead, they make him hide in a big suitcase. Though tensions are getting short in the um, Jekyll household, like they sort of like you know end up tackling this tackling the kid into the suitcase, and there's a lot of hurt feelings and stuff like that. That has a very nineties um, rave. He should be at the ha- Hacienda dropping some pills. <laughs> well, it's funny because this is, um, whatever, in 85 or something. So yeah, I, I know. I know but, but, yeah. Past to the future, you know. Um, but so the judges are closing in on the Jekyll family as they go to escape at the tunnel facility. They bump into a guy on a hover scooter and Leslie gets knocked out of his case and everybody sees him. And as once he's revealed, Eric draws a gun and says, like, get out of our way. We're getting out of here. I just noticed Eric's also he's got this bowl cut with these big pigtails coming off the back. That's amazing. Kind of. uh, Well, he's he's got bowl cut mullet. Yeah, exactly. Like 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 a pigtailed mullet. It's so this is a complicated hairstyle. So 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 this this is British party at the front, uh, party at the back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Serious at the front. <laughs> right. High high street in this the front, the um <laughs> low street in the back or something. Um <laughs> The Jekyll family steals a sub and the judges are still in hot pursuit. As they take off, they have a hostage, Commander Gill, from the station. Um, but wherever they go, like, the, the, the judges radio into them, basically. Like, listen, like, no, there's I'm, nowhere I'm, I'm, you can take this sub where they aren't going to be judges waiting to arrest you, you know? Yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm going to have – you need to have a look at that sub. Oh, it's got a because, very, like, yellow submarine kind of feel to it, actually, with these, like, big yeah, t- but, periscopes but, but, coming out of the top of it. <laughs> yeah, but that sub, uh, something from uh, 60s uh, uh, TV, it's a sub from uh, Stingray. Oh, which was, okay. Which was uh, Jerry Anderson, do you know? That like a thun- like a Thunderbirds and stuff like yeah. that. The puppet yeah, puppet made Thunderbirds. He made Thunderbirds, and then he made Stingray, and then he made uh, oh, Captain Strange or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain Scarlet, sorry. Ah, and, and this this is the sub from Stingray. Interesting. Uh, and do you know what uh, Jerry Anderson did? I mean, that's Captain. Uh, that's uh, Team America. Yeah, 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 no, no, like, yeah, the, uh, the, the yeah, the, the, the marionation or whatever, you're doing everything with those marionette puppets and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've seen a little bit of Thunderbirds, and we've certainly seen it referenced in the, uh, in 2080 a fair amount. Well, this, uh, this is, this is the sub from, uh, Stingray. Uh, presumably that was an underwater version, so they also had these puppets, uh, spaceships, fly- or, uh, undersea craft flying around and stuff too. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
So they head out. Um, yeah, the um, th- there's no escape. The Jekylls start to bicker over like whose fault all this stuff is, admitting to various crimes over the open radio as they go. But because they're fighting so much, they don't see where they're going, and the cr- sub crashes into the wall of Atlantis and explodes. And everybody, including the hostage, are quickly drowned and then eaten by these coral ray things. Ah, oh, bad times. Um, oh, classic. <laughs> just sort of how it goes, you know. Um, uh, that, 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 that's, that's comics code. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that, very much American superhero comics where, like, you know, it's not where I didn't kill you. You just happen to fall off the side of the building and I couldn't grab you in time. You know, that well, kind of thing. All, all, all evildoers have to meet their end. Exactly. Yeah. You can't get away. Come on. Um, but so later, the judges toss the Jekyll's apartment and find evidence that they were robbing and killing people to pay this blackmail. So they have the doctor arrested and things are all wrapped up, although we do see Armor just sitting comfortably on this badass zebra couch, which is amazing. Love this zebra couch. Well, well, he's he's chilling out. I mean, he's, he's, if, if he was a bit sit. Real British judge, he should have a beer. <laughs> yeah, he's just watch, reading, watch, watching the watching the footy, <laughs> reading their bank books. He's got his his legs improbably crossed over his knee pads and stuff like that. It's excellent. <laughs> Did you notice the four thousand AD comic there? Ooh, ooh! I just saw that. That's funny. Yeah, there's a little four thousand AD comic on the ground here. That's way in the future. Usually they do three thousand. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess in Britsit, they got to stay ahead of the times versus the 3,000 in the U.S. or something like that. Yeah, that, that, that judge also having some noodles. <laughs> or at least he's investigating their noodle maker yeah, or something. Uh, Who's yeah, to say? Uh, yeah, he's, he, he's, he, he's uh, testing it with his mouth. Yeah. Listen, and he's got ideally, so it could be anything. But yeah, in the end, they did it all for the love of a wolf boy, and love ought to be illegal. The end! Yeah, that's that's classic dread. Don't <laughs> love your kids. Yeah, good final one line. Yeah, no, toss him to the academy at five. You know, whatever. Just get him out of here. Very Spartan sort of style. Break. <laughs> hey, <laughs> speaking of uh, stories in different styles, we could go to Thrill 10, The Straight Jacket Fits. Uh, script robot David Bishop, art robot Roger Langridge, learning robot Roger Langridge. Drongo Stabbins has returned to the Britsit Psycho Cubes in a story heavily, heavily influenced by Grant Morrison, Dave McKean graphic novel, Arkham Asylum, uh, Batman Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth. Um, we learned that the inmates, Jack among them, have taken control of the ward and have several hostages, including Nurse Honey, and are prepared to kill them by reading the collected works of Mark Miller to them. Oh, no. Oh. Although at this point, Where do we it, know him from? <laughs> well, yeah, I Mark mean, Miller. in 1992, Mark Miller had done like he'd done some Robo Hunter and some Red Razors. And I think it's telling yeah. telling that they threatened them here with like some of his like his third year poetry like it's not even like comics work that he's done it's just school work that he's done because he's just a kid you know he's like 23 at this point just getting started basically um anyway at this point things get again get meta as Stabbins worries that this is the final episode of straight jacket fits and they haven't resolved anything Maybe instead slipping into self-parody. And honestly, I feel like that's where Straight Jacket Fits start, started. But whatever. 
Um, and maybe things become... Maybe this ambiguous end is a metaphor for life's uncertainty or something. The end. <laughs> this well, is weird. I feel my life changed reading <laughs> this. Seriously. I, I have never, ever read something so deep and <laughs> multiversal and... Sure. It just, it just makes me think, what have I done in my life up to this point that I'm reading this? Mm. Yeah, I think about that a lot myself as I go through some of these comics. <laughs> the end, the end, the end. I, I, I read that, what, four times here? Yeah, because yeah, the like, there's a whole back, <laughs> the, the entire background, like it sort of opens, there's a central image of Stabbins' hand on the Brits at Psycho Cube sign, and it says the end really tiny underneath his thumb. And then as the pages go on, it zooms in closer and closer to that section and stuff like that. I mean... That's one good thing about this, because the next page are some good-looking strippers. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean... (laughs) I'll say say generally just, like, this whole thing becomes, like, reasonably funny if you've read... If you're sort of... If you have Arkham Asylum fresh in your mind, which very much has has this, like, this style that we're seeing here with these cutout panels and sort of, you know, zooming in and out on different images around pages or having pages that are just sort of like, you know, a page is just sort of impressionistic insanity and stuff like that. It's very, very much sending, sending up um, Arkham Asylum and speak between that and the Mark Miller joke just kind of feels like uh, Bishop and Langridge sort of sending up some of their, their uh, writer, their writer friends in the course of this annual, basically. Um, and then, yeah. yeah, then we, yeah. And then yeah, we go to this, uh, classic Britsit Babes cover from Brian Bolland, of course, from, uh, issue 16 of volume one. Meow. Hey, exciting times. And they're called Britsit Babes, so you might as well put it in there, you know. And that in turn takes <laughs> us to Thrill 11, Judge Joyce. Okay. I'm going to just say, how is this supposed to be Britsit? <laughs> well, let me be an American and say, yeah. Ireland, Britain, it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <okay. laughs> tell, tell Joe Biden that. <laughs> Thankfully, we've got Ennis and Dylan. I don't think I would be would have been able to go through this cast mm. or just reading it after I just experienced in the straight jacket fist. If I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> some goth. <laughs> sure, yeah, we got this got, got this preacher team writing once more with another one of these Emerald Isle stories starring Judge Joyce. The intro page does actually have some new information because we learned that uh, Joyce's first name is Charles. That's pretty, uh, you know, that's a new intro- thing we didn't know before. The one, the only um, non-Dread and Johnny Alpha survivor of uh, Judgment Day. All the other support judges got killed in the course of that of that story. Well, uh, Joyce has uh, creative control on this. Oh, that's right. Yeah, listen. Yeah, he's going over, brother. You know? Yeah. <laughs> God, I got to keep Joyce strong for these later, yeah. um, later he, pay-per-views. He, and he stuff. ain't doing the job. <laughs> no, absolutely. Script robot Garth Ennis, art robot Steve Dillon, letter robot Gordon Robson. Uh, Preacher team again. 
And Judge Joyce has taken a break from judging Emerald Isle to get a pie for lunch. But when he cuts it open, it's got eyes and teeth and a smile in the middle of it. Oh, my God. People don't like that. The restaurant owner doesn't know what's up, so Joyce checks the shipment from Fingal's Pies. And they've all got faces. There's even a Cyclops one. This, of course, causes the restaurant owner to puke on Judge Joyce, which is rough. And later... Squarebob... Spongebob? Spongebob Squarepants start. Yes. Actually. I don't know. When did... I want to say the early 2000s. Well, look at that. Let me let me check with my research assistant Google here. Yeah, but, uh, but look at that pie. It does have a very, yeah, like that kind of look with the goofy grin and stuff like that. Yeah, 1999 for SpongeBob. But I feel like this could be like a Ren and Stimpy kind of smile or something like that. That's definitely of that era. Like these, they have these, because the eyeballs are sort of uh, cocked and askew and they've got these big smiley toothy grin, it does have a very like goofy cartoonish look for these smiling pies. That is kind of terrifying when yeah. you think about it, honestly. Yeah, but then again, again, 2000 AD foresaw this. I mean, sure. seven years previous. It really, actually, these because they're teeth. It really reminds me of these of this doll I saw once at my dentist's office, which was like a stuffed animal, but it had um, a smile of like maybe of if not human, then replica human teeth in it, and it was pretty terrifying. Like I was like, oh my god, what's that? <laughs> so. After being puked on, Judge Joyce is in the laundromat cleaning his uniform. He radios into control, but it seems that Fingal's Pie Bakery is closed today, so someone else must have sent those pies in. Anyway, <gasps> Joyce is then sent to take out some would-be bank robbers on the run. One of them forgot their gun, so they didn't weren't successful in robbing the bank. Um, we see those robbers, and they go to hide in Fingal's Pie Factory, where they find a bunch of no-good kids taking dead bodies and putting the body parts in all the pies! Oh no! This is just horrifying. The robbers try to sneak out, but the one who forgot his guns gets sick and pukes again. A lot of puking in this story. And the jig is up. A gunfight breaks out. As uh, Joyce arrives on the scene, he sees all this carnage, shoots one of the robbers, and then arrests the pie tamperers. Did you notice that classic uh, villain, punisher, and preacher pose on that uh, gunman? It's when funny. he's saying, I, I write. I like that he's looking down and he's like, he's shooting, but he's clearly horrified at what he's seen, I think. <laughs> like He's got terror I mean, I in his eyes as he shoots. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's classic preacher and punisher. Mm, right, that downward I've, shot I've, 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 I've seen that. I mean, that's that's just punisher putting down some monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah? No, I definitely, I, I definitely see what you're talking about for sure. Or, 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 or Cassidy just, you know, putting somebody out of the mistake. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I feel like... We've seen Dylan sort of from the start of his career, I guess, and at this point, I feel like he's really solidified into what his work and his characters look like, like the, uh, uh, the really distinctive look of, of his characters and his drawings and stuff. Do you um, think Joyce has a, a Irish equivalent of a lawgiver? I don't. I don't know. I don't. He's got I, that I, big yeah. Revolver. 
He's definitely got a great big gun. I don't know if it has other shot types, but I think that they do. You know, they they do a decent job of of uh, of making his his gear look different, but still sim- but still similar to Dreads. I think. Like, I think it's interesting. This um, Joyce's look with this big coat and stuff is sort of very yeah. a, a very distinctive look for the Emerald Isle judges, I guess. Um, well, so, at least so, they don't have a big glass of Guinness on there. <laughs> at, least, at least, yeah. At least it's not built into the built into the helmet, you know, because because like his um the badge on the top of the helmet is just kind of a stylized harp as opposed to like yeah. a, a full on harp the way that say the lions and the Britsa judges um uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's still a bit Guinnessy, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's. De- it's it's close. I mean, that's why there's so much. That's why whenever there, whenever Judge Joyce appears, we also get a bunch of letters from Irish readers, sort of complaining about him. You know, <laughs> like there is a lot of on the nose stuff here with him. Yeah, they could they could they could have put a potato on that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a bit blatant. I mean, you know, Joyce has certainly prosecute or gone after potato based criminals in the past. There was that guy with the potato gun and stuff like that. Spot mafia. Yeah, Juliania, stuff, all that kind of, you know, Masha, whatever. Um, but so these pie tamperers turn out to be medical students from Trinity College, presumably the one in Dublin. And they each got a bo- – and for their coursework, they each got a body to dissect. So I guess instead they decided to be a laugh to take their corpses down to the pie shop and jam the spare body parts into the pies, I guess. <laughs> Those oh, wacky kids. Yeah, I'm students. <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, but Joyce is not amused. He slams a pie into each of the surviving students' face. They get 20 years and that'll give you time to eat some humble pie. As these guys walk away covered in pie, in a, in a meat pie and like eyeballs and toothy grins and stuff like that. But that's classic wrestling. I mean, a pie shot. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's not Thanksgiving if you don't have a food fight at some point, right? It's important to the art form. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Jericho's birthday uh, a couple of years ago at um, at the WWE event, and he, and he of course got got birthday caked. I mean, I feel like there was a period uh, where, like, Vicky Guerrero was was magnetically drawn to pies and cakes and things like that. Just she couldn't, she couldn't stop falling in them, you know. <laughs> if you, if you see a cake on, oh yeah, in a wrestling, somebody's gonna get yeah, Schro- Sh- Schrodinger's <laughs> it's, cake, it's, absolutely. It's only oh, a matter of Chekhov. time. No, oh, Chekhov's Chekhov. cake. Excuse me. That's right. Chekhov's it's Schrodinger's cake if there sometimes is or isn't a person inside the cake. But yeah, Chekhov's cake is where it's only a matter of time before someone goes into it. <laughs> and I guess speaking of inevitability, let's finish off with our final story, Serial Killer Part 3. All right. So Dredd makes an order to stop the Zoom with the one with the, with the killer aboard and it comes to a screeching halt. The engineer says they're headed back to Mega City One, but Keith Richard Branson Pickles has another plan. He bursts into the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the engine room of the train, I guess, and holds the engineer hostage and makes him keep going. Um, so Dredd calls to, calls to Atlantis and have all the judges get there to stop him, and then he climbs aboard an express shuttle to follow after the Zoom. 
Meanwhile, at the student habs of Hadi U, which is, is another reference to a previous Dread story where there were these no good American college kids doing pranks, but then they ended up all dying, basically, and killed by mega citizens. Um, but there, um, they found more victims, 19 all told, bringing uh, the kill count to 124, I believe. And Dread is doing a naked extinct on here. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's in this shuttle that is zooming after him, and yeah, he's got his legs parted. You could see see all the way to that zipper that he's got. You know the one I mean, the uh, the, the terminus of his uniform zipper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. He wants to dominate. Oh my! <laughs> the narrative. <laughs> At Atlantis, the midpoint, you know, so back at Atlantis was, of course, the midpoint between Mega City 1 and Britsit. The judges are waiting as Dreadfall is close behind. The zoom comes to a halt, so Branson Pickles heads out of the train. And he's got the thing where he's got his disintegrator to the engineer's head holding him hostage, that kind of thing. Um, he just has to walk across the line that we see clearly painted on the ground to Britsit. And like you said, it's a Checkpoint Charlie situation. He'll be... You know, he'll he'll have made it to Britsit, and so Mega City One will have to extradite him to get him back, and that'll take years, and he'll be yeah, laughing and he, and all the way as the legal mumbo-jumbo takes place. And he's, try, he's trying to talk football hooligan, and I know, it's, it's, it's a mishmash of cool talk and cold war, and I mean, it's cool. But, yeah, and just kind of general, like... Um, yeah, kind of a mix of uh, the bad guy in Lethal Weapon 2 talking about le- uh, diplomatic immunity and then just kind of general like supervillain, like you'll never ki- you'll you'll never catch me, Batman kind of things. I've got my smart lawyers. Exactly. But then Dredd shows up on that Zoom shuttle and just blows a couple holes in the back of uh, Branson Pickles. <laughs> he doesn't care about this stuff. He is the law. You know, you can't threaten him with the law. <laughs> what, Britson's going to fuck with <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, <laughs> that's literally what happens. Like, you know, uh, he shoots Branson Pickles and Branson Pickles dies saying that he still got the record. You can't take that from me as he dies. Yes, um, I can't. <laughs> yeah, we see reporters coming in. He got 153 victims all told, definitely beating the record. And the Brit sitters seem very – and the judges – Brit sit judges seem very into that. We Brit sit, Brit sit, Brit sit, Brit sit, Brit sit, that kind of chanting kind of thing. <laughs> oi, oi, oi. Um, but Dredd's like, listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a big deal about this if I were you because with you guys taking the crown, it's only going to cause a bunch of uh, Mega City 1 record holders heading over to Brit sit to try to take the record back. And I don't think you want an influx of motivated serial killers headed to your doors, basically. And this is the football hooligan uh, day away theme mm. that was talking about previously, because um, in British hooligan culture, mm-hmm. you had um, hooligan crews, gangs, who would take the train following their team. Mm-hmm. to another city and there they will do the criming and fighting and drinking etc yeah and if if they didn't get uh beaten up or they beat up the locals who usually outnumbered them uh, 20 to 1 <laughs> that was a win mm. and if that happened then the 
local hooligans right. would yeah. have to yeah. go get their own back or whatever head to get the, their uh, own back mm. on uh, on their trip there, which would happen once a year, and who who got a bigger kicking or who won or who, who had to run away. Mm-hmm. That that was the result. So if you if you go go on a trip to from Britsit to Mega City and you kill more people, that means that a Mega City has to come back and kill more people. Right. <laughs> in Britsit. That's that's the away day here. I mean that yeah, that definitely makes sense or sounds like yeah, like that's definitely what they're trying to avoid because as a response to this, they're like, all right, well maybe we'll just keep the identity of the killer a secret. You know, say the body was destroyed beyond recognition or something like that. And Dredd's yeah, fine with it. <laughs> oh, sorry, go ahead. Britsit knows that Mega City has more psychos than Britsit. Yeah, I mean, they just have more people <laughs> generally. And, you know, they're also Americans. And I feel like we're all worried about, like, not just regular Americans coming, but, like, murderous Americans. That's bad times. You, know? <laughs> you, 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 you... Yeah, you you don't you don't know the, the those psychos from uh, Mega City doing yeah, like, away day <laughs> like more more murderous than usual is what I'm trying to say you know but um yeah but so in the end they agree to keep the killer a secret um but Dread also manages to extort a nice donation of 200 million credits uh to the Mega City 1 victims f- support fund as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So all's well to end well, and indeed, Dread has taken away the record from Branson Pickles. So take that next time. Keep him on your own side, you jerks. The end. Classic Dread. I mean, hey. he doesn't get a fuck about borders or you know, I think he keeps the law, it, or the or the or international law. He he gives a fuck about the law. Yeah, he keeps things just legal enough to um just legal enough for things to work you know um but is still just very much focused on um and making sure that these perps get what's coming to them you know uh as a lawyer i can say that uh, dread was uh, technically in um, hot pursuit of a subject across the border he he could do that yeah come on it's fine whatever i'm sure they've got all these pursuit laws when it comes to the uh the this uh um Atlantis border anyway everything seems very fluid here and again I think these two justice departments also work pretty closely together so it's like a, a whole thing I guess but anyway with that we have finished the Judge Dread yearbook for 1993 Dustin we finally survived it oh thank God <laughs> I mean uh, in the middle that was that was hard. I mean, you know, always these yearbooks and annuals and specials. Ending. Yeah, they sort of, they, you know, there's there's some highs, but there's also some lows. And they sort of, you know, they make you earn those highs sometimes. But now that we've at last reached our destination, now that now that we've arrived at um, Atlantis or whatever, I must know what your top and bottom stories are for this um, yearbook. Oh, it's a difficult pick between Soul Sisters and Stay Jacket fits for top, obviously. Oh, of course. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The sarcasm, oh my god. I'm no for that. Soul Sisters just for not giving a fuck, and the writer (laughs) obviously obviously just saying, well, I've had enough of this. (laughs) Sure. 
That's that's the bother. Um, I think I can't say Atlantis because that's a reprint mm-hmm. for top. I'm gonna go Syracuse because I can't seem to face up to the facts. I'm tense and nervous and I can't relax. I can't sleep because my bed's on fire. <laughs> Don't touch me. I'm a real live wire. Psycho killer. Kiss kissy. Fa 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 better run run. Run 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 away. Psycho killer. Kiss kiss. Fa 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 better run 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 away. Oh 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 oh. Yeah yeah yeah. The theme, the theme of this uh, was Psycho Killer, not Brexit. Mm. I mean, I think you're right. Like, it's very, there are a ton of, of Psycho Killers, in the, like, at least as many Psycho Killers as there are Brexit references in this one. Every and, single and prog is a Psycho Killer. Yeah, because... Every single prog, apart from those uh, students. Um, but they're, they're, they're future And that's psychos. pretty, yeah, that's pretty, like... A, a psychotic move, even if you aren't like a serial killing. But yeah, I mean, even um, the even the classic dread story had had them. You know, like <laughs> it is very much a very strong theme in this annual. You're right. Oh man, yeah. I think for me, I'll certainly join you with Soul Sisters as my bottom. I didn't like the end at all. Like I don't like the lampshading of it. And um, well, I didn't think it was great. I did, like, Straight Jacket Fitz did enough to, like, it was bold enough in its um, Arkham Asylum parody that um, I had to give it some credit to keep it out of the out of the bottom thrill. Though, of course, it was a big whipping boy when it was in the magazine. For my top, actually, I, th- I, th- I think I'll join you with that as well with the Psycho Killer story. Um, I really liked... Um, it had a lot of callbacks, which I think is good for a yearbook story. You know, one of these stories that has, that is built on a reference to a previous dread adventure and then had some more callbacks with the Atlantis stuff and how to you and other things like that. Um, yeah, I thought this was a pretty fun dread story. Um, and one that definitely like kept me kept me uh uh, uh kept me w- uh, uh wanting more as we went through the annuals. Like, all right, like let's see. Oh, this is developing pretty fun. So yeah, I thought it was you know a good story overall. And yeah, I don't know. What did you think of the uh of the annual overall? I guess I know we had we, we talked about having some ups and downs and stuff, but yeah, there's sort of some interesting stuff here. Uh, when I started Psycho Killer, uh, so, sorry, Psycho <laughs> Killer. <laughs> I, I was really worried, mm-hmm. and then Anderson worried me even more. Sure. Yeah, it got better, and then we have the middle, which is tragic. <laughs> I mean, it's very much, again, that's just sort of uh, how all these annuals and specials go, I think. The finish is strong. Yeah. yeah. There's some fun stuff in here, for sure. All right, but I think... That's going to do it. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Titch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com on the 2008 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. For all those, check out Big Meg One with one spelled out, and you'll find us. Also, feel free to drop a rating or review where you listen to us, or if you uh, suggest to someone looking for a cool podcast. Come on, why not? 
This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardinghan, Zam Kipmiller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Dustin, where can we find you on the internet if you'd like to be found? On Twitter, that would be at... L L Machetti as L L P M A C H E T E. Ah, like Danny Trejo. All right. Yeah, that's the boss. Absolutely, I've been to his. Uh, he's got a he's got a uh, a taco restaurant here in L.A. that I've been to a couple times. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do, I do. Gonzo military history and basically trolling everybody on that account. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Vicious sense of humor there. Fantastic. All right, yeah, definitely. All, and I'll link to that in the show notes. All right. And then uh, come back for our show uh, next time on Big Meg One, Armitage Investigates. We'll go deeper into CalHav, spend some time with Judges Anderson and Hershey as the robot judge Mechanismo at last arrives in Mega City One. Robot justice, it's upon us. Oh! <laughs> Yeah, be careful. Fred doesn't like those robots. No, he's long-standing hatred of robots. Absolutely, it's going to come to a head here. And until yeah, then, I, I, oh, sorry, I know, you, I know you, I know you really love Walbot the robot. <laughs> we just had Walter come back in the in the uh, 2000 AD annual this year. Oh, it's tough with these Walter stowies. You know, I always got to wipe them a very special way. You know. <laughs> no, he's he's Walbot the robot for me. <laughs> Oh, interesting. These yeah. different voices of these characters. Oh, man. All right. I, I, re- I really hate it. I, you know, I always look at someone funny if, they, if they're a Walter fan. You know, that's weird. That's a weird fandom to have. Absolutely. <laughs> and until then, I'm Codrat there, Dustin, and we are Big Meg One. Drockers. Pay close attention.